You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. We shouldn't let the idea that Jesus should be called an angel trouble you. The word angel, and we've talked about this before in some of our previous studies, the word angel, uh, the word that's actually translated into our English word angel from the Greek is actually messenger. So therefore, this would refer to Jesus being a messenger or a messenger of God. Jesus is intertwined in Scripture from the very beginning. We often think of him as simply coming into existence in the first verses of the Gospel of Matthew, but as is made clear in the Gospel of John, he is eternal, and he's the foundation that all of this, the world, the Gospel, and the redemption of man is founded on. As Pastor Mike continues our study of the book of Revelation in today's message, He'll draw our attention to Jesus and His presence throughout the history of man's interaction with God. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation, chapter 10, as he begins his message, God's Mighty Angel. I remember what you said, you return that I might live in my In the progression of our series, our studies here in the book of Revelation, we move into chapter 10. So grab your Bible, Revelation chapter 10. Remember, in this section, here in the book of Revelation, we are in the middle of a second series of judgments, and those judgments are known as the trumpet judgments. And with each blast of these seven trumpets in heaven, there's a corresponding event that takes place and unfolds upon the uh, earth. It's just all a part of God's wrath. God pouring out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. Now, what's being described for us here in chapter 12 is this interlude that takes place between the sixth and seventh trumpet blasts. And let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about the sixth trumpet blast. And if you remember... In the previous chapter, in chapter 9, in verse 13, with the sixth blast of the trumpet, we were introduced to these fierce angels who have been incarcerated at the Euphrates River who have been waiting for this particular time to go forth. And as God commands them to go uh, forth, they are now released and they wreak havoc and death upon the earth. And the result of their occupation 
is that they kill a third of the population of the uh, earth. But, so that has everything to do with the sixth trumpet. But, the seventh trumpet has not yet sounded and will cover uh, what's involved with the seventh blast of the seventh trumpet uh, next time as we move into chapter 11. Okay, so with that said, uh, that uh, leads into our text this morning, and let's begin chapter 10, reading verses 1 and 2. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had a little book, open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot upon the land. Okay, so who is this mighty uh, angel? Well, notice there in verse 1, the mighty angel here is not named, uh, he's not given a name, uh, like for example in other portions of scripture, uh, there's a reference to uh, Michael, the archangel, or Gabriel, uh, who was also an archangel. But this particular angel, this mighty angel that we're being introduced to here in verse 1, is notice, not named. But listen, there are a few things about him which have led some Bible teachers to believe, and I would fall into this same company, that this is actually a picture of Jesus Christ. And notice the way that he's recommended to us here, particularly in verse 1. And also, I, I, I should mention that we shouldn't let the idea that Jesus should be called an angel trouble you. The word angel, and we've talked about this before in some of our previous studies, the word angel, uh, the word that's actually translated into our English word angel from the Greek is actually messenger. So therefore, this would refer to Jesus being a messenger or a messenger of God. Now let me give you a couple examples of this where Jesus is also referred to as an angel or a messenger of God. For example, in the Theophanies, that is those appearances of Christ in the Old Testament, where Jesus is referred to as the angel of Jehovah. Let me give you a couple of cross-references. For example, in Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 9, there Jesus is called the angel of his, that is of his Jehovah, his presence. Uh, another cross-reference, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 2, where there Jesus is referred to as the angel of the Lord. And listen, all of, and in context, in all of those verses that I've just cited for you, the claims and actions of those uh, of that angel that's being depicted there uh, for us can only pertain to deity. Okay, so don't let it throw you that I am suggesting to you that this mighty angel is none other than Jesus Himself. Now, another clue and reason why I believe that this is Jesus. Let's go back to verse one. Notice in the description that's provided for us, we are told that this mighty angel, his face was as the sun. Now remember, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 16, remember John's vision of Christ in the introduction 
to this book of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 16, Jesus is depicted to us in this way. His countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. So do you see the similarities between the two? Let me give you another cross-reference. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 17, in verse 2, remember when uh, Peter, James, and John are taken up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and they're sort of like placed in a, in a, a time capsule, and they're catapulted into the future, and they see Christ in his glorified uh, body. And there we are told in Matthew chapter 17 and verse uh, 2 that his face, that is Jesus' face, did shine as the uh, sun. Remember uh, that uh, upon the occasion when uh, Paul the Apostle uh, is converted on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 and verses 1 through uh, 5. Let me read it for you. You can turn there if you like. But in the uh, book of uh, in, in Acts chapter 9 and verses 1 through 5, we read, Then Saul, and his name was Saul before his conversion experience, and then his name was, uh, the new name Paul was given him. But then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, that's the way that they referred to Christians uh, during this time, those who were of the way, remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that's where that comes from, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's, in the prime, he's the prime mover in the campaign to squash Christianity, to put an end to Christianity. Now in verse 3, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, so he's on the Damascus road, and suddenly, notice verse 3, a light shone round him from heaven. And what was that light all about? And who did it shine round about? Well, we are told that Paul, or Saul, fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the voice responded and said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads or kick against the uh, prick. So, this is just another clue. Notice again the way that both Jesus and this mighty angel are described uh, for us in this way. Now, concerning this mighty angel, let's go back to verse 1. Also consistent with this description there in chapter 1, here in the book of Revelation, this mighty angel is recommended to us in this way. And his feet were as pillars of fire. And, and notice again the similarity uh, between these descriptions in chapter 1 in verse 15. You see, these are the feet of majesty, set for the judgment of the uh, earth. And isn't that exactly what's being played out here for us? Now also we are told concerning this mighty angel who I believe is Christ. He is clothed with a cloud. Also notice that description in verse uh, 1. And this was the cloud of old, a reference to the cloud of old. That is the garment of divine presence or divine uh, movement. Let me give you a couple of cross-references for this. For example, in Exodus chapter 16, in verse 10, we're told there that the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. 
Let me give you another cross-reference. In Exodus chapter 13 and verse 21, we are told that the Lord directed Israel by day in a pillar of a cloud. Throw this into the mix. Remember when Christ ascended after his resurrection and just prior to the, uh, the, uh, the Spirit of God, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit being uh, poured out in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, when Jesus ascended, we are told, Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, a cloud received him. Uh, also in Luke's Gospel in chapter 21 and verse 27, concerning his coming back, we are told they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great uh, glory. And so notice how the, both of these descriptions uh, would fit with both this mighty angel as well as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then we are also told concerning this mighty angel, notice, go back to verse 1, and a rainbow was upon his head. Now remember in chapter 4, in our studies here in the book of Revelation, when John is raptured uh, into uh, heaven, and he describes for us the heavenly uh, scene, he uh, makes special note of this rainbow that was round about the throne of God, the focal point in heaven, the throne. But around the throne was this uh, rainbow. But here in our text in chapter 10, this rainbow, it is upon the head of this mighty angel. Now, what's the rainbow all about? Well, we've talked about this uh, in one of our previous studies. But the rainbow is a symbol of God's everlasting uh, covenant with the earth. Remember back in Genesis chapter 9, in verses 12 and 13. Sometime during the week, you can check it out for yourself. But after he destroyed the earth through the flood, he made a covenant with the inhabitants upon the earth. And in that covenant, there was an arrangement made between God and the people of the earth that he would no longer ever again destroy the earth by a uh, flood. So, we wouldn't thus expect any other than a divine person to wear a rainbow upon his uh, head. So that's just another reason why I believe that this mighty angel is none other than Christ himself. And also, the rainbow is a symbol of mercy, isn't it? And security for all those who believe on Jesus Christ. It serves as a reminder that God protects his own when conditions in the earth are at their uh, worst. Okay, so let's go on now. Verse 2. Now notice there in verse 2, we are told that he set his right foot, this mighty angel, set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth. Now, what's significant about this? Well, I believe that this stands for the sum total of the material universe. That is, Jesus is now claiming as his possession what is rightfully a his. That which was lost through disobedience and sin by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, and verse 26, we are told, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You know, Joseph Seitz, in his commentary, which is really the classic of all of the commentaries that have been written on the book of Revelation. In fact, every contemporary writer appeals in their own writings, in their own commentaries, to Joseph Seitz. 
Again, it, it is the classic commentary written on the book of Revelation. Well, anyway, Joseph Seitz in his commentary mentions, and he says, it is an, it is an act befitting the character and office of Christ, but hardly a created angel. Now, this also reminds me of what is recorded for us by the psalmist in the 8th Psalm in verse 6, where there we are told all things shall be put under his feet. That is, under Jesus' feet. Not, this, not an angel or some created beings, but in under the feet of uh, Jesus. So, Satan will assert his claim to the earth, but when Jesus puts his foot down, he will take possession of, of his own property, and he will subdue, and he will put down all assaults of the uh, enemy. Now that brings us to our, so Jesus, I believe, is this mighty angel. Now that brings us to our second point this morning, and that is the Lion of uh, Judah. And also we're continuing to talk about our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ who is depicted for us in the scriptures as the Lion of uh, Judah. Okay, let's go back to our text. Let's uh, pick up in verse 3. And this mighty angel cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Okay, so here is the mighty voice of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus, asserting himself, prior to the exercise of judgment. And if you think about it, what the picture here is very similar to a lion roaring when he's about to make his last leap upon his victim. And so in a loud voice to be heard all over the earth, Jesus asserts his right now to rule and his intention of accomplishing it. And also notice there in verse 3, the mention of these seven thunders. Now we know that thunder is a recognized type of God's voice in judgment. Let me give you a couple of cross-references. For example, in the 18th Psalm in verse 13, there we are told, The Lord thundered in the heavens, the highest gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. Another cross-reference, the 29th Psalm in verse 3. There we are told, the God of glory thunders. And so anyway, these judgment thunders of God, and notice there's seven in all, and remember uh, the, the significance of that number of seven uh, speaks of completeness or finality. You know, God is, is just you know, claiming what is rightfully his, the finality of it all, you know, putting an end to man's rebellion, uh, claiming the earth back unto himself, purging the earth, cleansing the earth. And so these thunders represent the completeness and the, the finality of this, this work. Now also, another feature here concerning these thunders that I want to draw your attention to, and I find this to be extremely curious, John heard what the thunders said, and he was about to put into writing what they had said. So he was about to articulate it. Notice there in verse 4, but he was prohibited to do that. What do we read there in verse 4? It says, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. 
Now, I got to tell you something. This drives Bible teachers absolutely crazy. And there's been a lot of speculation as to what uh, these actual uh, voices uh, had uh, said. But it's merely speculation. I think what we need to take away from this is that simply this illustrates the principles that while God has revealed much, there are secrets which God has not seen fit to reveal to man at this particular time. So more than anything else, I think that fits in an explanation of why John was prohibited to record uh, what he had heard. Okay, let's move on. Let's read now verses 5 through 7. And then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hands to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he's about to sound, and we'll get into that study next time together as we move into chapter 11, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Okay, so what do we have here? Well, after the sound of the thunders, Jesus, notice here, according to our text, lifted his hands towards heaven and he swore an oath. Now, this is where people have a problem identifying this angel as being Jesus. Because notice, this mighty angel is swearing unto God. But keep in mind that this scene that's before us here is not taking place during the dispensation of grace. The dispensation of grace is over. We're already into the seven years of tribulation. The dispensation of grace took place during the the period of the church age. Understand that, okay? So we're not any longer under the dispensation of grace, but I would remind you that during the Old Testament dispensation, under the law dispensation, God, in several different places, swore by himself. And thus, here Jesus swears to attest the authority and the finality of his own statements. So let let me give you an example of this. In the book of uh, Hebrews, if you'd like, you can turn there with me to chapter 6 and verse 13. And this has to do uh, concerning God's promise that he made to uh, Abraham. And in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13, we are told, For when God made a promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. So that's exactly what's going on here. Jesus, in a sense, is swearing by himself. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. We're so glad you joined Pastor Mike today to study the book of Revelation, the final book in the Bible. If you'd like to listen to more, just visit our website, harvestnyc.org. 
You can also subscribe to the In My Father's House with Mike Finizio podcast. Just search for it on your favorite podcast platform. We'd love for you to join us for worship this weekend at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet at 11 a.m., and you can reserve your seat online by clicking on Contact at HarvestNYC.org. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area or if you're just unable to attend in person right now, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time of studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch up with previous messages, check out our services through our Vimeo link, or you can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Links to all these are available at our website, harvestnyc.org. Before we end our time with you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us in this ministry. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting In My Father's House? Donations of any size can be made securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Thanks for praying about this, and thanks for joining us today on In My Father's House.